This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to another episode of Dakota Spotlight. I really appreciate you listening and would like you to know about Spotlight Plus. It is a subscription to Dakota Spotlight that provides bonus content, early access, and ad-free listening, all while supporting my work and the show you love. You can subscribe right in the Apple Podcasts app or visit dakotaspotlight.com. You're listening to Dakota Spotlight. My name is James Wallner. This is Episode 7 of The Mandan Murders. Last time, in Episode 6, we learned a lot about Bill Cobb and Lois Cobb. It's been such a pleasure to get to know them better. Once again, many thanks to their daughters, Amy and Brianne, and to others who took part. In this episode, we'll get to know Adam Fuhrer and Robert Fockler a little better. But before we jump into that, I'd like to tell you about some of the things that are still yet to come in this series. For one, we will look into the one and only connection ever really confirmed between Chad Isaac and RJR. It's an important one, of course. RJR had recently become the managers of the trailer park where Chad lived. But as you will hear, Chad was a model tenant or customer. He had never made any complaints. RJR had no trouble with him. He even paid his rent early. However, we do know that Robert Fockler met Chad Isaac at least one time. We will be looking closer at that. Also yet to come, lead BCI investigator Joe Ahrens tells us how he believes the morning of April 1st, 2019 went down, step by step, what did Chad do, and in what order, and what does that tell us about his possible motive? That and much more still yet to come later in this series. But for now, I would love to share with you what I have learned about Adam Fuhrer and Robert Fockler. So, let's jump into that now, and let's start with Adam Fuhrer. Prologue. MASH. From 1972 to 1983, the TV show MASH aired on CBS. The series follows a team of doctors and support staff stationed at an army hospital in South Korea during the Korean War. Perhaps you've seen it. The main characters, Hawkeye Pierce, Trapper John McIntyre, and some others in the show, were civilian draftees. Those characters had been drafted to uproot their lives, leave their families in the United States, and come to this encampment full of strangers. One major theme in the show was about the characters missing home, wanting to go home, wondering when they would be reunited with their loved ones. They never seemed to know exactly when they'd go home, But for most of them, it couldn't come soon enough. Adam was a really, really nice guy. This is Ben Pace. Ben is a longtime employee at RJR, and so he knew Lois and Bill, Robert and Adam very well. Ben also testified during the trial and he's definitely a member of what many people refer to as the RJR family. 
When I spoke with Ben, he was quick to acknowledge and admit that referring to a business as a family was a bit of a cliché. But Ben and others I've spoken to stand by that claim. I felt like it was one of those places where every single person like belonged, mattered, was respected. I know it sounds so weird, but like clicky, like we were all very clicky, but all of us were in the same clique. People had their baby showers at the office. People had their engagement announcements at the office, their pregnancy announcements, something where they waited until they told us before they went public with it. Yeah, I felt like Adam was very much respected there too. Adam had a place there. Adam was very very cherished. And I think that they always let him know that, you know, you have a place here and you are, you know, valued and wanted here. Adam was somebody that was quiet. And Adam loved his family, loved the company parties and the company get togethers. He'd always bring his family and he'd always have a good time. Adam was just one of those people that was a very, very nice person, very approachable. It was a lot of fun conversations with Adam. One thing I learned about Adam, and pretty much everyone brought this up, was that at one point in his life, Adam had injured his middle finger. And so he couldn't bend it. So it would look like Adam was flipping off people while he was driving the vehicle. In fact, RJR would sometimes get calls from clients and customers saying, hey, how come your employee's flipping me off? It would just be the funniest thing when we had to explain that. And I think Adam always took that really well when we'd call and chat with him. (laughs) Adam came to us. He was a very quiet, kind of withdrawn kind of guy. This is Jackie Faulkner, Robert Faulkner's widow. I sat down with her one afternoon at her office at RJR. It took him a while to warm up and and, um, become, I mean, he really literally became the family quick humor, but it was to select a people. Because like I said, he was kind of the quiet guy of out of all four of these guys. He was the quiet one. He was so much into his family. He, I believe, probably struggled growing up. And so he didn't want his family to struggle. He wanted his family to succeed. Adam wanted something for his kids. And that's probably the saddest part that he wasn't here to assist them. So he was very much family. I think he was more family than anything else, but he loved his job here. His work was phenomenal. He was loyal. Um, I can't say anything bad about Adam at all. Just a good guy. Adam Fuhrer was born in Sunnyvale, California on October 13th, 1976. He married Melissa Peterson in 2003, and the couple had two children, sons, James and Jared. Jared looks a lot like his dad, too. He's a constant reminder. This is Melissa Fuhrer, Adam's widow. Melissa first met Adam Fuhrer at a gathering of mutual friends. I was living in Minnesota at the time. I was just back visiting a friend, and... Um, I met him through a mutual friend. I thought he was an interesting person. We were married in 2003, so we would have been married 20 years in July. I don't know, Adam kind of had a kind of a rough childhood. Kind of a rough childhood that, yeah. 
Melissa explained for me that Adam was stubborn in some ways, especially when it came to things like spending money on things that he could figure out himself or do himself. If something needed to be repaired, he could do it himself. If he needed to eat, why spend money going out to eat when you can cook at home? And for that matter, who needs a doctor when you can take care of your wounds yourself? Like the time he burnt his foot very badly and didn't want to go to the emergency room. He said he wasn't going into the doctor. He wasn't going into the ER. He goes, I can take care of myself. I go, no, you can't. I said, you burnt your foot. The skin's peeling off. And then he thought he could work. He couldn't even get a boot on. He's like, I'm not going in. I'm not going in. In this case, Adam finally gave in and went to the ER. He was a pretty simple person. He was a pretty simple... I mean, he loved his kids. I mean, he would have done anything for them. That's the thing that's so hard. Jared sees, you know, like, some of his friends with their dads and stuff like that. I mean, Jared really took it. You know, he's like, he goes, I didn't even get to say goodbye to him. James, I think he just kind of puts on a bright, sometimes just a brave face to... You know, it's just, but we're doing, I'm doing, I mean, doing good. I mean, I was in counseling for a while. I kind of like had survivor's guilt for a while. I was like, not fair that he's not here and I'm here. I'm a lot better than I was that day. But there's just certain things that trigger your, your emotions or something that just triggers and, but I think I'm doing pretty good. I think I'm doing pretty good. My youngest son, he's he'll call me. He'll be like, where are you at? Be like, I'm with a friend. Okay, what time are you going to be home? But I can understand, you know, his thinking. I already lost one parent. He's told me that too. He goes, I've already lost one parent. He goes, I don't want to lose. Because I don't want to lose you. Hello, dear listener. This is James, host of Dakota Spotlight, inviting you to subscribe to Spotlight Plus. For as little as $5 per month, you will get the warm feeling of supporting the show and also unlock access to bonus episodes, get the episodes early, and listen ad-free. That's right, no more ads. Apple users can subscribe to Spotlight Plus Standard right in the Apple Podcasts app. If you want to dive deeper and get even more exclusive benefits, subscribe to Spotlight Plus Premium or Spotlight Plus Ultimate. Go to dakotaspotlight.com for more details. To learn more about Adam, I sat down with his stepmom, Shirley, and his sister and brother-in-law, Natasha and Scott Town. How, how do I understand, how am I to understand Adam? Who was he? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Um, full of life. He was a person that you'd kind of have to get to know. This is Adam's sister, Natasha. Very lovable, a big heart. He was kind of shy, actually. And this is Natasha's husband, Scott, so Adam's brother-in-law. He liked fishing and and camping a lot. Loved taking his boys camping and fishing, and he did a lot of of stuff at home. Like, he always wanted to make supper, always made sure everybody ate everything. (laughs) He's one of those type of guys. What did he like to cook? Anything. Came up yes. with just random stuff sometimes, and you're just like, what the heck? Just dump this and that. He'd buy a pack of uh, 
13 bean soup or whatever. Yeah. Or it had about 13 beans in it, and then he'd add hamburger to it and whatever else, and he just thought that was the coolest thing. It was so good. <laughs> yeah, he loved to cook. One story that <clears throat> pops in my head every time I think of Adam, I guess. He called me one day and said, Scott, will you come over? And I got a couple ducks, and I don't know how to butcher them. And could you come over and help me butcher them? So, and I'm just thinking, okay, if somebody went hunting, you know, killed some geese or ducks or whatever you wanted, and I'd come over and help him butcher them, you know. So I came over, and here he takes his cage out of the back of his car, and they had two live, yeah, they were alive. And I'm going, <laughs> Adam was. <laughs> and I was like, what, 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 are you going to kill him? And then we got it. And what, it took off and got away from him and it ran underneath his camper. And we're sitting there trying to chase this goose around. And we finally, finally got him and and butchered him and stuff. But it was just like, it just one of them things it turned into. <laughs> he loved retro like shows like MASH. Like the 80s 70s. shows and stuff like that. He was into even, he'd sit and watch MASH episodes all day. And I'm just like, I'd go over there like, really, Adam? Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to watch this. Walking into this interview with Adam's stepmother, sister, and brother-in-law, I'd heard from several people that Adam Fuhrer had had a, quote, rough childhood. They all sort of mentioned it in the same way, I thought, sort of vaguely, no details really, just a rough childhood. There was something in the way they said it, something that suggested to me a sense of maybe don't ask for too many details or something. I don't know, maybe I imagined that part. And I'd already understood that Adam Fuhrer had been a private person. And to be honest, there was a part of me that felt a bit uncomfortable probing too deeply into his life. I both knew that I wanted to know him better, but I also wanted to respect his privacy. Clumsy as I can sometimes be, I innocently asked Adam's sister, Natasha, a question. What did she and Adam do when they were kids together? I didn't know the answer would help me understand a little better what people might have meant by a rough childhood. In fact, I think her answer helps me understand the grown man, Adam Fuhrer, much better, too. So when you guys were kids, you hang out a lot together? Yeah. What kind of stuff did you do? What kind of stuff did we do? Ride our bikes together. Everything. Just We just had each other. It was just him and I, you know, like our parents. I won't play this whole segment. This became tough for Natasha to talk about. What she basically told me was that when they were young, their parents were not really around. I didn't probe much deeper than that, but what is clear is that Adam and his sister were placed in several different foster homes, usually yeah. together. She said it was scary, very scary. But it was always scary. It was always so scary. But they always had each other. And suddenly, I did feel like I could understand Adam Fuhrer a little bit better, at least understand his priorities than adult life. Family, eating together, never waste food, never waste money and help others in need. Even, like, growing up, we didn't, like, have much to eat. So, like, mm -hmm. yeah, what you had is what you got. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he'd always make sure that his boys wouldn't go hungry. Or even my boys. He used to come over. We'd cook together, too, a lot of times. And sometimes he would make something, he'd get upset. Because when the food's done, it's time for everyone to come eat. 
So when it's time to eat, yeah. Yeah, when it's time to eat, it's time, you know, that's just what you do. And he'd get upset at my boys because they, you know, some boys are just like, well, they'll eat when they want or they're busy doing whatever. And But he, he always wanted everyone together. And when it was time to eat, it was time to eat. Very family, <laughs> very family, like. Togetherness. Yes. Adam was a whole bunch of love, everything. This is Shirley, Adam's stepmother. She came into Adam's life when he was about seven years old. He loved his boys. I mean, there was no doubt he loved his boys. And he loved everybody, but the boys was his pride. I'll show you something he gave me as a child. As a boy, he, he, he wanted to do right for everybody. And it was Mother's Day, and we had no money. And this is what he made me. From her purse, Shirley pulled out the Mother's Day gift that Adam Fuhrer had made for her decades ago. It was constructed from things he could find at home. It consisted of a little piece of scotch tape, a pencil that had seen its better days and was fairly short, and one of those school erasers many of us once had in our school desk, the flat kind that's sloped on each end. Adam had taped the pencil on top of the eraser and declared to his stepmother that he had made her a missile, or perhaps a missile launcher of some sort. A piece of tape, an old pencil, and an old eraser was all Adam needed to make sure his stepmother, Shirley, received something on Mother's Day. That, that's Adam. I mean, he loved people. You know, like you said, it was, you had to get to know him. Like, yeah, he had a neighbor that lived about three blocks away from when he lived over here. And uh, he had a stroke, and he couldn't talk. That was that Steve. Yeah. And Adam befriended him. And I, I don't remember how he quite met him. I think he just met him because the guy used to walk all over the place. And he couldn't really talk. He'd go, mm, you know, like how yeah. that's how he could communicate. But Adam really liked him. And he even took me to uh, one day, we took me over to that guy's house because he wanted to say hi to him. So he's been in his house and everything. And I just kind of thought that was odd that he would just bond with someone like that, you know, and he couldn't really communicate. But Adam really... He liked them and always checked on them and made sure he was okay. He, he cared for people. Yeah. He really did. And what do they all miss most now that Adam is no longer with us? I'd always go over to his house on Sundays in the morning, walk over there, and he'd be laying down on the floor usually on the couch. And I'd just like snuggle up next to him. Adam, are you awake? <laughs> now I am. I'm like, I love you, Adam. I just miss when he just would spontaneously come over and, I mean, he, he never really called or anything, but we, cause we kind of did the same thing. All of a sudden, look out the window, Adam's here. And then it's like, and then he was, then it was time to pick on his sister and, uh, and, and whatever. And I guess that's kind of the, the biggest thing or just hanging out, you know. The last few months before he left us, he would show up in the morning to get coffee. He was on a job out by my house or something, one of those buildings. He would just come over and get a cup of coffee, and away he would go. Is it ready? Walk in, walk out. You know, just the way he did it. We didn't see each other all the time. He liked his own things and things. A um, few months before he was taken from us, he went to my mom's farm, and he relived a lot of things out there. 
and it was good. And I seen him happy with his boys. He could reminisce with his boys. Hey, this is where we did this or we did that. And that was a year that I was so proud to spend with him and the boys. And, and uh, it was our last Easter with him. And those are moments that I can, I can remember, but I can never get them back. I was proud to be a stepmom, but I'm so proud to know how he raised his boys. That was something I always wanted him to have was good family. And to tell you the truth, I blocked out the memory of him in the casket. I don't see him there. I see Adam as Adam. I asked Natasha, what would Adam want for her now? How would he want her to live her life? What would he say to her? Keep going, Tasha. Be your, be with his kids, his two boys, you know, and to them all and all my boys to all come together, which they do. We do. You know, he doesn't want me to stop. We think about it every day. Mm-hmm. He love him. I've really enjoyed getting to know more about Adam Fuhrer. I hope you have, too. And I'll be thinking of him. And when I do, I'll be imagining him not as the child pulled away from his family and in foster care with his sister, missing home, missing family, and wondering when they'll be reunited again. But instead, I'll be thinking of him as the adult Adam, cooking and providing for his boys, helping neighbors, maybe chasing a duck around the yard, or maybe even involuntarily flipping someone off. But also, I'll be imagining Adam plopped down in front of his television, watching hours and hours of the TV show MASH about a bunch of people that Adam fully understood. People pulled away from their loved ones, people missing home, missing family, and wondering when they'll be reunited again. Robert was a phenomenal, phenomenal human being. This is RJR employee Ben Pace again. And I, I don't think we have enough time even for Robert. As you likely recall, Robert Faulkner and Jackie Faulkner were owners of RJR. Robert was the last one to arrive on that morning and the fourth to be killed by Chad Isaac. Robert was like an extra bonus dad. And I felt like Robert was that person that would passionately speak and passionately go into everything headfirst. If you were in the wrong, you were going to know it and Robert was going to make sure that you knew it. But after that, you got the phone call afterwards explaining how he believes in you and wants you to do better and knows your worth and made sure that you knew your worth and wasn't ever going to let anybody step on top of him or anybody else that he loved. It's tough to explain, Robert. Because I knew Robert. So people didn't know Robert like I knew Robert. This is Jackie Faulkner again, widow of Robert Faulkner. 
Robert was tough. Robert was fair. Robert was loving. But Robert was black and white. Apparently, Robert had a temper, but his anger didn't last long. According to Jackie, when Robert did get mad, it rinsed off of him pretty quickly, and he didn't hold a grudge if you didn't. In fact, he had a hard time with people who did hold grudges. So if I get mad at you one day, and you're going to hold that grudge and personally, you know, not be pleasant with me because of it, Robert was done. If you basically shook his hand, we move past this and move on, he's your best friend. So he was a black and white type of guy. If he would do anything for you, as long as you didn't wrong him. Robert was not a forgiving person if you wronged him. The minute you wronged him, if he disliked you, he was done with you. But he would do anything. Originally, anybody, he would definitely do anything for anybody. Robert Fockler was born on February 20th, 1967, and he grew up in Williston, North Dakota. He has two siblings, an older sister and a younger brother. This is Jamie Binstock, daughter of Robert and Jackie Faulkner. In fact, the older sister works with me every day, my Aunt Deanna. And um, my dad also had a stepbrother that he was very close to and loved so much. He, you know, he didn't share a whole lot about his childhood with me. I would say that he was especially proud of being an FFA in Williston. Yes, at one point he was president of the Williston chapter of the FFA, or Future Farmers of America. In general, Robert was known to be an outdoorsman. He loved hunting, fishing, but also farming and agriculture. And his grandparents had a farm in Dickinson that they also spent a lot of time at. Robert loved working at his grandma's farm where he baled hay and worked cattle and spent time outdoors. As a young man, Robert loved his time with family. There was, it was just a very family-driven, and it was a lot of it was my grandma's side of the family. Robert Faulkner was a senior in high school in Williston when he met his future wife, Jackie. But it wouldn't exactly be accurate to call the couple high school sweethearts. So my mom's older than my dad, and my dad was in high school, and my mom was out of high school, and they met at a party. Yeah, and one of the one of their friends had said, "Well, let's go see Robert," and my mom said, "Okay, like, guess we're going to the college to go see him," and they actually drove to the high school. <laughs> She was shocked that he was younger than her. <laughs> Jackie and Robert moved to Arizona and got married on the 4th of July, 1986. It was there in Arizona that Jamie and her brother were born. That's where they started our life together. Being down there, they just worked what they could, and they always put my brother and I first. They worked opposite shifts to make sure we never had to go to daycare. And then they wanted to be closer to family. So in 1994, Jackie and Robert packed up their young family and moved back to North Dakota. They settled in Mandan. We lived in 
one mobile home park and that's where my parents started their management experience. They started managing a mobile home park in Mandan. I asked Jamie what early childhood memories stand out when she thinks of her father, Robert. The day he shaved his facial hair off. (laughs) (laughs) One day when I was very young, very young, he shaved his beard off and I looked at him and I said, you're not my dad. Can you put it back on? This is not my dad. And I remember just crying because I was in such shock. We spent more time with my mom than we did with my dad. And it's just because he was constantly doing something. I don't think there was ever a time where he was standing still in life. My mom always called him an entrepreneur because he would try stuff. She always tells me stories about how he tried to build fertilizing equipment. And he, he always had something going on. Back in those early days while managing mobile home parks, the Falklers also had a few side gigs to make a few more bucks a month. They always would think about what did they want to do next and what did they have to do to get there. And they worked as a team. They had a fishing tackle business, a septic tank business, and Jackie worked at Pizza Hut just so they could save up and buy some land. Finally, in 2005, Jackie and Robert bought land near Baldwin, North Dakota, about 20 miles north of Bismarck. But just because they were moving out of town and away from the little city of Mandan, Jackie and Robert did not expect their kids to have to change school. They actually towed us to Mandan every day. Even though we didn't live in Mandan anymore, Mandan was and always is our home. Living on the new farm north of Bismarck was a change for the kids. We lived in mobile home parks the entire time, so obviously my brother and I had no idea, (laughs) no clue on anything with a farm. And my mom, she grew up on a farm. My dad, he grew up going to his grandparents' farm. Robert attempted to turn their kids into farmers, ranch kids, but it wasn't always easy. Jamie recalls how Robert attempted to teach her how to saddle up a horse. That didn't go very well. Not go very far at all. I always had him do it for me. (laughs) But with my mom and my dad and I, we loved to ride horses. When Jamie was a teenager, she tested her dad a lot, she says. One story stands out for her. She was 16 years old and house-sitting for her grandmother. Jamie snuck out of the house and was cruising around Main Street in Bismarck, having a good time like any 16-year-old might want to have, when her cell phone rang. It was her father, Robert. I think he caught the drift that I wasn't where I was supposed to be. So he called me and said, where are you? And I was in a car on Maine. And I said, I'm at Grandma's house. (laughs) And he's like, okay, well, I'm on my way to go make sure you're at Grandma's house. Okay, I'll see you there. Jamie raced home to her grandmother's, parked her car, and ran inside the home. And I sat there and waited for him to pop through the door. And sure enough, true to his word, after a few minutes, Robert showed up. And he challenged me. He said, if I go check the engine on your car, is it going to be hot? And I said, no, no, I mean it. I did not leave 
It's not hot. You can go check it. Lucky for her, he didn't actually go check the hood of the car. I can't believe I got away with it. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was the one that really, really pushed buttons to see what I could all do without getting in trouble. <laughs> My dad was hard on us. <laughs> My dad worked and worked and worked and worked. Um, the only things he liked to do other than work was outdoor stuff, hunting, fishing. He could be an outgoing um, person for new people. He always wanted to see who they were as a person. He had like a moral code to him. If you were hardworking in life, you would reap the benefits. Um, but he was not an emotional person and he would never let people see that side of him. This perhaps stubborn man certainly had some hard bark on him, but underneath that same bark was certainly something else, something softer. Jamie says she didn't get to see much of that side of her father until near the end. Probably not until he was older. Probably like the last two years of his life is when he started getting very more emotional and loving and I, just seeing a different side of him. Do you have any idea what that might, why that might? He had a lot of health problems come up. Yeah. He was panicked because he was having chest pains. At one point, he was going into the doctor, and he would never tell me until the day of when he was going in because he didn't want us to worry. Um, but then come to find out, they did all of the x-rays and whatever they wanted to do, and there was nothing wrong with him. We think he was having panic attacks. So, <laughs> I mean, he they, have a very, they had a very stressful life, and... I'm pretty sure he was just having panic attacks. But then after the autopsy and everything, he did have medical issues. But perhaps the biggest surprise Robert had for his daughter was the close relationship that he formed with Jamie's husband. I started getting a lot closer to my dad when I got married. My spouse, my dad, just loved so much. It was a person that could go out on the farm and it was like they could read each other's minds. They could um, know what needed to get done. And between the two of them, they'd get it done twice as fast. There was times when we would go out to the farm just to help them move snow and help them hay. It was crazy to see this relationship that I never expected with my husband that formed with my dad. Robert's grandchildren may have softened up the man a little bit, too, Jamie thinks. I have four, um, and I have two nephews and a niece. So between just us two kids, there are seven grandkids. Now, my dad, unfortunately, did not get to um, meet two of the grandkids. Um, my youngest son was four months old when my dad passed away. I saw a different side of him with my kids that I never got to enjoy. I spent more time with him and getting to talk to him more as an adult than I did ever in my life. And I enjoyed it. I asked Jamie a question because a couple years ago, a good friend of mine passed away. And I noticed then that feeling sad and down, he was the very first person I wanted to call for support. But I couldn't, of course, call him because he was gone. 
I asked Jamie if anything like that had ever happened to her after her dad passed away. Did she ever reach for the phone to call him before remembering she couldn't do that anymore? Jamie said it happened to her all the time, especially in the beginning when she witnessed her mother struggling with everything on her own. Her husband and three dear friends had been murdered and she had a business to run. Or maybe not to run. Two days, I want to say one or two days after everything happened, she had asked the entire staff what did they want to do. She said, what do you think? Do we do this or do we close the doors? And the staff chose to keep going. And if they were going to keep going, she was going to keep going. So she decided to keep going the way she was going to be there for everyone at Orange Air. And what does Jamie miss most about her dad? I miss being able to call him when I have something bad in life. No matter what problem I had, it seemed like he always had a solution or he would say, okay, let me figure out what we can do. And he, he was that type of person. If you needed help, he would help you. And there was so many times as an adult where I would call him, say, my dishwasher is backing up, what do I do? <laughs> he was the guy that I could call and know he would answer. There even got to be a point where I wouldn't even put my mom as an emergency contact because I knew my dad would answer the phone. <laughs> so he, I miss, I miss just that, that accessibility to him. And finally, what advice, if any, does Jamie have for others who may have to go through something like this? You have to choose to live life the way that they would have wanted you to. I know my dad would have wanted us to keep going. Um, he wouldn't have stopped. I knew he would have kept going. He would have kept going for all those around him. So we have to. They wouldn't have wanted to see us sad. Especially over something that they didn't choose. Many thanks to Ben, Jackie, and Jamie for helping with this segment about Robert. I hope you have enjoyed getting to know him and Bill and Lois and Adam as much as I have. And many thanks to you for listening to Dakota Spotlight. Without you, there is no podcast. Still yet to come in The Mandan Murders. Like, right, that behavior, that sort of stalking-type behavior... Um, or pre-planning behavior, it, it's unnerving because you they obviously didn't know that that was happening. You know, there is no real motive that, that's ever been brought out in this. Um, there were a number of theories. Not a lot that would back them up, but just theories. This whole process has 100% make me question humanity. At which point... Robert came up, we stood on his steps and spoke to him and... Chad Isaac's family had nothing to do with this. We're seeing his mom and dad periodically in the courtroom and... The main thing I got out of it was we got, you know, some closure for the family and hopefully they can move on as best as they can now, but...
Dakota Spotlight is a production of Forum Communications. To see photographs, documents, video, and more about this season, head over to inforum.com slash mandanmurders. And don't miss the awesome Dakota Spotlight Facebook group. To join, go to facebook.com slash groups slash Dakota Spotlight. Once again, thank you so much for listening to Dakota Spotlight. I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. To support my work, get early access, listen ad-free, and much more, please consider subscribing to Spotlight Plus. Apple users can even subscribe right in the Apple Podcasts app. Learn more about Spotlight Plus at dakotaspotlight.com.